But it's a great encouragement to me that you all are all here. Thank you very much. I know that the temptation for me would have been to just nope right on past this building into that red cloud. But alas, uh, we have a a bit of uh, business to talk about, and that is uh, to discuss something very personable for me. It is my favorite cookie recipe. And uh, first, we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. But because you're all my brethren, I'm going to share this recipe with you. It is my recipe. Uh, Isn't it funny how there always seems to be an odd relative or a friend who who never cooks, but has a world-famous dish of some kind. In the spirit of sharing, I will now present my world-famous oatmeal raisin cranberry raisin pecan cookies. I originally found this recipe on Pinterest years ago when searching for the best oatmeal raisin cookies. It was an immediate house favorite, but I only seem to be inspired to make it every now and again, and that's what makes it so mysterious. So here we go. Here is my recipe. You line a cookie sheet with parchment paper. You melt one and one-half sticks of butter and let it cool slightly. You mix two cups flour, half a teaspoon of baking soda, half a teaspoon of salt in a bowl, and set it aside. In the KitchenAid, or in a bowl with a spatula, you cream together the melted butter, the one cup packed brown sugar, half cup white sugar until well blended. You beat in one teaspoon of cinnamon, one tablespoon of vanilla extract, a whole egg, and an extra egg yolk, just the oak, no whites. And you do that for three minutes until it's light and creamy. You mix in the flour until just blended. You add one and a half cup of old-fashioned oats, a cup of pecans, a cup of raisins, and a cup of craisins. This mixture can then be scooped out into spoon-sized sections and placed on the apartment paper and set aside. There it is. I did it. The tricks I've picked up over the years are to brown the butter before you cream it together. That's something that takes a little skill. This gives it a distinctive candy flavor, which is most excellent when you mix it with the craisins and the pecans. The other trick is the pecan halves, which, unfortunately for you all, has to come specifically from my backyard pecan trees. which then have to be hand-shucked while watching either Anne of Green Gables or Pride and Prejudice TV miniseries. That's what my kids tell me. And then you have to freeze them for later use. I know it's not lost on you, brethren, to observe that the act of baking is a favorite pastime for some and a mystery to others. The individual ingredients can often be enjoyed as themselves. For instance, a heaping handful of raw flour is an often enjoyed midnight snack when the cupboard is empty of chocolate cake, of course. Or rather, a spoonful of cinnamon is what helps the medicine go down, I hear the song is about. Obviously, I'm joking. As many of these items are not that enjoyable on their own, but are intended to be mixed together. The individual ingredients alone does not a cookie make, as the old saying goes. So we must gather the ingredients together. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, as I said earlier. In carrying the metaphor through this presentation, in Matthew 5, we're going to look at first the Sermon on the Mount. Our first task is to gather the ingredients together. What are they? We need to know the recipe. Then the task is to combine the individual ingredients to make a dough. 
it is important to note that the individual ingredients, once combined together, cannot return back to their individual parts. Once you combine them, they can't go back. They are forever changed. You cannot extract melted browned butter from flour. I've tried, especially whenever I mismeasured. So, the Sermon on the Mount gives us context with the gathering of the ingredients required to make a Christian or the saint. Matthew 5, 13 says, If the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? Go down to 17, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, in the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, from Matthew 5, 21 through 24, speaks about a new mindset we should have when we are considering our fellow man. And this ingredient is very important to the recipe of the saint, the follower of Christ. We are tasked with righteousness upon entering the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Following through the act of hatred and murder will come with consequences. We all understand this. But Jesus obviously moves the goalpost on us and is of note to the Christian. Observe in verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. The key to understanding this thought is empathy and love. When you are in the mindset of judging someone enough to call them a fool, you've lost sight of God's intention for his children to behave and think. Christ says we will not be allowed in the kingdom. Guilty enough to go into the fiery hell, he says. The conclusion of these thoughts in verse 23, we keep reading. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. God doesn't even want you to fulfill your worship obligation to him until you are at peace with your fellow man. Verses 27 through 37 continues Jesus' instruction on thinking about this world differently. How you shall not commit adultery implies a distinct line that we can cross, the act of committing adultery. But don't miss the point about perhaps even towing the line, even looking and lusting is wrong, Jesus says. These verses imply change from your old ways, from the ways of those around you in the world, much as what Nate spoke of this morning. Even some who are seemingly religious, as the Pharisees and the scribes were. And the process of beginning repentance by bridling your actions and thoughts against the evil influences of the world. Jesus says in verse 29, Matthew 5, 29, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. Throw it like a stick of dynamite 
Get it away from you. The bridling of the body and the mind. It continues in verse 43, Matthew 5, 43. Read with me. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, this is Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a radical change from what our culture and our society teaches us. It's something to consider in our own lives as something to put into practice. We must do it. I know for me, this ingredient is as easy to swallow as a teaspoon of cinnamon by itself. We saw the tax collector idea during the pandemic, didn't we? Of the me and I attitudes with a hoarding of toilet paper, of all things, food, baby formula, masks, and all matter of selfishness. It was, however, refreshing to see so many people coming together to think of those outside their immediate circles of families and friends, of love and influence, volunteering, sewing masks, and donating it to people who need. The ingredient of empathy and peace between fellow men climaxes in chapter 6 of Matthew. Turn with me there. Chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 we'll read. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 reads, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You must change your heart and look to heaven for the salvation of Christ to come to you, it says. Without turning, Joel 2, verses 12 through 13 says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart, not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and mercy, and relenting of evil. The tearing of one's heart is the repentance of the followers of Christ. A change of heart leading to a change of action. Once your heart is torn, return to God. And in Matthew 6, 19-21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He continues in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth 
My version says, Mammon, money. Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2. Jesus tells us ultimately, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? The true love. Verse 6 says, Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine. They will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. He continues on, 7 and 8 verses. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Verse 12, it says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And finally, in verse 20, So then you will know them by their fruits. This all-encompassing of the Sermon on the Mount, the ingredients of the recipe of God. So what are they? Obedience, empathy toward your fellow man, and love are important enough to be known by God. John 14 and 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So obedience, empathy, and love. Jesus gives a warning in 21 through 23. Not everyone says to me, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Obedience is the key point in the love of God. These ingredients, obedience, love, empathy, forgiveness, etc., are all essential for the gathering together of the individual ingredients into the dough of the saint. We're back to the metaphor. Combining the ingredients of the cookies is an essential step to making the finished product, but the act of combining, stirring, mixing, beating, and turning this mixture takes time, effort, enough to where your arm hurts, where you wish you had never even thought about baking the cookies. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Suddenly, as you're working, your arm is hurting, or rather the KitchenAid mixer is doing it. What a blessing that is. The mixture changes. It begins to be delicious and inviting, but it's still simply a combination of all the individual parts. But as mentioned previously, they can't be separated again, but set aside until the next step. But what is the dough mixture for the Christian? 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1 says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Know the commandments and actually walk in them. That's mentioned at the first. 
but you have to keep going. Excel still more, it says. Notice in verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The will of God is your sanctification. You are becoming holy as God is holy. Verse 7 through 8, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Your repentance and walking in God's commandment is the combination of the individual parts of the teaching of Jesus, leading to your sanctification, your holiness, which is the will of God, our purpose of living. Later in verses 11 through 12, notice that outwardly to outsiders in the world, it says, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. We are taught to love one another, to practice love toward all the brethren, but to excel still more, it says, and continue that toward outsiders. In short, that is to love our fellow man, even those who hate us. Billy Joel's song, Only the Good Die Young, has a telling critique of those of Christ not loving outsiders. He writes, Your mother never cared for me, but did she ever say a prayer for me? Some of you probably hate that song, but that line struck a chord in my heart. Have you prayed for your enemy? Have you made friends with your enemy? Matthew 5, 25 through 26 says, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law, while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Making the dough from the ingredients of Christ also is shown in 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn with me there. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 13 through 19, 1 Peter 1, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address the Father, the one, as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Skip a few verses to, chapter, to verse 22. It says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, 
For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. Go to the next chapter. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice, or another word could be wickedness, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure spiritual milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Down in verses 9 through 12, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Another way of saying that would be Christ's coming again in judgment. Our behavior to outsiders, as well as the other combined ingredients of righteousness, make up the dough of the recipe of the saint. The combination of all the separate parts of thought, behavior, and love, together with effort, it takes effort to mix the dough, to where at times, just like mixing, you want to stop and rest. But it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, excel still more. Keep going, and keep growing toward God by observing the word. Remember our lump of cookie dough? We combined and set it aside on parchment paper? We forgot something altogether important and none too pleasant. We have to preheat the oven to 325 degrees Fahrenheit and bake the cookies for 20 minutes at our elevation of 3,200 feet in Lubbock. Too little time in the oven, and the cookies just simply aren't ready. Too long in the oven, and you can toss those cookies straight into the garbage or use them as greasy doorstops or paperweights. I know it's not lost on you that part of the recipe of the saints is the testing of your faith. We must be tested in the fiery torment of the world. Temptation. But why? It's unpleasant. I don't want to do that. I want to be happy and be peaceful with God. Some stumble. Some will fall away. To all, sin is not the red, vipercated, tailed, horned, pitchfork devil. It's the most enticing and inviting and delightful thing that you've ever seen in your life. The combination of the ingredients of the Bible in putting on righteousness prepares us for this moment. This step is necessary in completing the recipe of the saints. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27 says, 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, and acts on them, it takes action, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. This is the testing. The storms of life, they are coming. All too real today for us in this building. Aren't we thankful of Lubbock Building Codes? Our only hope is to do the things Jesus commands, as he says here, those who act on my words. We must follow the path of righteousness according to the teachings of Jesus and the perfect law of liberty. In our cookie recipe, the firing of the dough actually incurs what's called the myod reaction, a chemical reaction between amino acids and reducing sugars, along with the caramelizing sugar, mm, proteins in the cookie that begin to brown, producing a rich, nutty, toasted flavor. Same thing happens whenever you do your steak as well. Get that nice sear on the edge. Anyway. (laughs) This reaction is non-reversible, but necessary to transfer the dough of individual ingredients into the completed cookie ready to eat. One form of biblical testing that the Bible talks about has to do with questioning, searching, and submitting the philosophies of men to the trials of God. But it also has to do with our own temptations against evil and how God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are our advocates in overcoming this temptation. 1 John 4 verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Does that self-help book about religion help you study? Put it to the test. Does your studying reading about Stoicism give you inspiration to get closer to God? That's great. Put it to the test of God. Romans 12, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this age, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 21-22 says, But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Every time I see the word hold fast, I think of being on a ship and you're going around Cape Horn and you're at a 30 degree list and the only thing to do is hold on as fast as you can. Hold fast to that which is good. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 9 says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you failed the test? 
But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test, speaking of the apostles. Now we pray to God that you do not wrong, do no wrong, that we ourselves may appear approved, not that we ourselves may appear approved, excuse me, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. Colossians 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. We put the philosophies of men to the test by only knowing the scriptures and commandments of God. Like those spoken of in Acts 17, verse 11, Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens, Paul talks about the Jews of Berea. He says that they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, which should be our thoughts as well. Receive everything with great eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The saints in Berea were praised by Paul to go to the word and look it up. Put it to the test. So shall we need to act on even the things I'm saying here tonight. But the machinations of men are not the only thing to be tried. Just as the cookie dough is placed in the oven so shall our combined ingredients as a Christian be placed to the test. The Bible talks of this. Psalm 66, verse 10, it says, You have refined us as silver is refined. Proverbs 17, 3, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. Job 23, one of, probably one of the greatest tested people in all the Bible says, but he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job 23, 10 through 12. God wants us to be righteous he wants us to be perfect, and, on, and the only way to do that is for us to be tried, not gently, not with hand-holding, but in the fire of temptation. However, Job can be our great example of not departing from the command of his lips, treasuring the words in his mouth, he says. We must treasure God's word in our mouth even more than our food. First Peter, turn with me there, First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. 1 Peter 1, 3-7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, 
you have been distressed by various trials, temptations, so that the proof of your faith, the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice Peter continues this concept identified in the Psalms, that what we hold to as valuable, we as people, our currency, what we forge our jewelry in, is to God and the spiritually minded to be the most valuable commodity. He compares it to gold and silver, but it's more precious than that because it doesn't fade away. The genuineness of faith, it says. Turn a few chapters over to 1 Peter 4. Notice with me that this shouldn't be a time for us to lament when we are tried. This is not a sad time. The Bible tells us differently. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will become of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Psalms 26 says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness, your mercy is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Only a few more references. 1 Corinthians 10. That the testing of our faith comes by various trials or temptations, a purposeful instance of our lives, where we will be forced to show how we're going to behave. We're going to be forced to make a choice. Do I take the $200 from the open purse in the break room? There's no cameras in there. Do we go to Twin Peaks and oogle at the girls? How about ooh la lattes? It's just a cup of coffee. Do we watch Magic Mike in the theater? Do I look away from the woman at the gym doing squats? Do we say yes to the THC-infused vape pen? It's only one hit. 
the choices and trials can become overwhelming and disheartening. But 1 Corinthians 10, 6-13 says, Now the things of the Old Testament that we read, the people of the ancient times, happened as examples to us, it says, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. We just studied that in Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks stands, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, our last reference for the evening. James chapter 1. We'll conclude our thoughts here. The world and the deceiver of evil is the one warring for our souls. The temptation of our lives will come. Just as Adam and Eve fell, there is no doubting that. And God serves as our advocate and our means of escape. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Remember, that's the will of God. Skip a few verses to verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has passed the test, once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Remember John 14, 15? If you love him, keep his commandments. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted from God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he carries away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is complete, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived. Do not be misled. My beloved brethren, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. There's no deception from God. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness 
and all abundance of malice that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer of work, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We have been given the recipe. We need to set out with a new resolve for repentance, to put on righteousness, which is the will of God, to study the word of God, which is the only way to know him, and to learn from the stories of the ancients and learn from their mistakes and prepare ourselves for the eventual trials and temptations which will produce in us righteousness and endurance. These things are to prepare for us to become a Christian. Happy baking. Happy baking. I know for those who may not be a Christian, the walk cannot even begin until you put on Christ to hear the word, to believe the word, to confess that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for our sins. Repent of the evil things that you've done and come forward and be baptized as we stand and sing the selected song.